I'd like you to turn with me back to 1 Kings, this time to chapter 11, on page 813 in the Church Bible. 1 Kings, chapter 11, and we read the first 13 verses. One Kings chapter eleven. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow, did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Let's pray. O Lord, you have given us your holy and infallible word. But unless your Holy Spirit comes and enlightens us, Lord, we remain in darkness. Unless your Holy Spirit comes and makes us teachable and gives us that meekness and that humility of heart, removing the prejudices that so often lie within us under the surface. Lord, we meet in vain and hear your word in vain. Lord, we pray that as a consequence of the things that we hear tonight, we may be doers of the word as we have read in James. Come then by your Holy Spirit 
and help me to preach and help each one of us to listen and to hear what you would say to each one of us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This surely is the saddest chapter in the life of Solomon. We read in verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. The events that we have just read in chapter 11 have led some people to conclude that this account is not reliable. It didn't really happen. And as part of the evidence for that, they say, well, you read through the parallel account in Chronicles and there is no mention of this event. They say, it seems impossible that such a wise, God-fearing man as Solomon could fall into such sin. That is not our approach. And one of the reasons why it is not our approach is we have a, an inspired commentary on what happened in this chapter from Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah in chapter 13 and verse 26 we read, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? And Nehemiah there is talking about taking pagan wives and the effect that it would have upon the nation. And he says, yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. What I want to do this evening is very simple. I want to examine with you the cause, the character, and the consequences of Solomon's sin. Now you will be asking yourself, is Solomon, or was Solomon, a true man of God? Did he ever repent of his sin? We are not given an answer here in 1 Kings chapter 11. And that is not really the question that is being even considered at this point in chapter 11. I will come back to say a little more about that towards the end of the sermon. But it is not the subject matter. What is set before us here is the cause and the character and the consequences of Solomon's sin. It is a sobering 13 verses and causes us, or ought to cause us, to take heed to ourselves and to search our own hearts carefully. Firstly then, let us look at the cause of Solomon's fall, his sin, his disloyalty. There is an immediate and visible cause. But there is also a root and an invisible cause, which we will come to in a moment. First of all, the immediate and visible cause, we are told, verse 1, King Solomon 
loved many foreign women. As well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. And we read at the end of verse 2, Solomon clung to these in love. Now it is very interesting, a few chapters before, in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 3, we read, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. But here the chapter begins, But Solomon loved many foreign women. We know that Solomon is now in the latter years of his life. We're told that in verse 4. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. What happened outwardly, but with a root cause which we'll come to in a moment, there was a marked change in his priorities, in his affection. Solomon had taken far too many wives in the first place. Presumably in his attempts to outdo all the other nations. This is one of the ways in which you measured greatness in the ancient Near Eastern world. What kind of harem did you have? How many wives, how many concubines did you have? These were the results, many of them, of political and military alliances. They would be sealed a kind of a covenant by marriage. But these women came to fill the affections of Solomon and shook him loose from his sole devotion to the Lord. In other words, he had a divided heart. There was a measure now of disloyalty. These women were not women who worshipped the one true and living God. They were pagan. They had no sympathy. They had no knowledge of this one true and living God. And it's very interesting, the verbs that are used in verse 1, Solomon loved many foreign women. And then verse 2, Solomon clung to these in love, are verbs that are used in Deuteronomy to describe the love that God's people are to have for God himself. God calls upon his people in Deuteronomy to love him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. Deuteronomy 6.5, Deuteronomy 10.20, Deuteronomy 11.22 are just three of those verses in Deuteronomy. To serve him and to hold fast to cling to him so that you do not let him go so that your love for him remains paramount. Solomon was no longer loving the Lord his God with all his heart. He clung to these women in love. There was, as it were, some bug eating away at his love and affection for God. There was a leak in the boat and the water was slowly seeping in through that hole. 
there was the immediate and visible cause. But there is a root and an invisible cause that is even more serious that gave rise to him loving many foreign women. Verses 1 and 2 make it quite clear that the cause of his fall into sin was his disobedience to God. Blatant disobedience. Verse 2, with regard to the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites, from the nations, it says, verse 2, of whom the Lord had sent to the children of Israel, quote, God's words, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. And it is not only a command, but God says what the consequences will be. Surely, surely, they will turn away your hearts after their gods. We need not turn in Deuteronomy and other parts of the law of Moses to those passages. It is quoted for us here. This is a summary of what the Lord repeatedly said to Israel. You are not to go after other foreign women and marry them because they will take you away from the true worship of me. You know what happened when they got involved with the Moabite women. Later on, Nehemiah picks up these themes again. We've already referred to it. God said it again and again and gave the reasons. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And surely Solomon ought to have come to terms with the fact that he knew not only God's promises are true, but God's warnings are true also. God's word always comes to pass. But Solomon chose to ignore what God had said and he flew in the face of God's word. Did he think himself too wise to be drawn into idolatry by his wives? If so, he was trusting in his own wisdom and he fell terribly. Because that is precisely what happened. It was so, verse 4, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. Just as God had said it would happen. That's the inescapable conclusion. But you see, something has been happening in Solomon's heart. Invisibly. Imperceptibly. But the problem lay in his heart. Five times in verses 2 to 4 you have mention of the heart and the turning away of Solomon's heart. The invisible source of all of our actions. There was a disloyalty of heart in his will, in his affections, in his choices. And at the root of it all was a willful and foolish disobedience and disregard for flying in the face of the plain and repeated commandment of God with the consequences spelt out quite clearly. When did all this happen? We are not told. It would have happened gradually and imperceptibly. It would have been done invisibly, as it were. No one would have seen it on the outside. 
It only became evident when his love for these women was so displayed in what he then did, going to build high places for the worship of their gods. But Solomon, did you not write, keep your heart, for out of it are the issues of life? Proverbs 4, verse 23. Solomon did not keep his own heart. Here then is a sad event that is unfolded before our eyes. A tragic event. A man whose love for God decayed. A man who disobeyed the clear commandment of God, even when it was spelt out what would happen if he disobeyed. And surely there is a warning here. In youth, when we are young, there is a tendency to rashness and to pride. We see it in his son, Rehoboam, the harsh and foolish and quick words that led to the dividing of the kingdom in 1 Kings chapter 12. When we are young, we sometimes imagine that perhaps as we get older, temptation to sin will weaken. And as we get older, we may hope that that is the case and may think that that is the case. But here is the shock in verse 4. When he is old, when he is old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Old age does not mean you do not face temptation. In fact, as you get older, you may well find yourself taking the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. With an added sense of the danger. With an added sense of the need to pray that petition, perhaps as never before. Especially in the light of what we read here about Solomon's defection. And his disloyalty. Some years ago, I was visiting another church. And I recall being told what had happened in that church. There had been a lady who had been a long time member of that church. She had been well cared for, she had been a faithful member of the church. Her husband then died. And the church rallied round and supported her, cooked meals for her, had her into their homes and did a hundred and one other things for her. Some months later, that lady, a professing Christian, suddenly upped and moved into a house with an unbelieving man. She didn't even marry him. She moved into that house with an unbelieving man and the church was left with the difficult task of church discipline. This lady had been a member and an apparently faithful member for 30 years or so in the church but she reached a point a trial and a temptation came and she fell. Thankfully she is still or she has returned 
and is in attendance under the ministry of the word of God. But the fact is she fell. When did she fall? As a young teenager? As a 20 year old woman? No. In her 60s. In her older age. This chapter and examples like that that could be repeated then tell us that old age is not a time when we think we are no longer then subject to temptation. Solomon fell in his old age. And it is likely that the seeds of that falling in old age were all the time going on in his heart. Imperceptibly. But then secondly, what is the character of Solomon's sin? What is the character of his fall and his disloyalty? Remember, of course, when his father sinned, he fell into adultery. He fell into murder. And Nathan said to him, in exposing him, David, you have despised the commandment of the Lord. You killed Uriah. And you take his life, and then you take his wife as your wife. Solomon had gone further than David. David had broken the commandments of God, but this man broke the first two commandments. He broke these commandments to do with the worship and service of God. He introduced idolatry into the nation of Israel, although we are not told that it's affected Israel at this point. It is Solomon. We find here in verse 5 that Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the, Ab- uh, the abomination of the Ammonites. And then verse 7, he built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. This is high-handed unfaithfulness to God. This is a violation of the first commandments. He turned from from them. The express command to worship God and God alone. And God says, if you introduce idol worship, it is effectively, you are forsaking me. You are turning away from me. You are rejecting me. And these wives, we read, turned his heart after other gods. Solomon went after Ashtoreth and the other gods and goddesses of his wives. Notice that each one of these is called an abomination. That is something which is evil, wicked, as far as God is concerned. Which is why we read that Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Instead of hating then what God hated, Solomon tolerated what his wives wanted. Because he loved them more than he loved God. His loyalty and his heart was stolen away by him giving priority to 
the family ties. He put his wives first. He put their demands first. He put their desires first. And ignored the plain command of God. And his sin was made even worse because he did it in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This was the place where the temple was. This was the dwelling place of God. The one true and living God. This was the God who revealed himself to Solomon. This was the God who had come down in glory and filled that temple with his glory so much so the priests were driven out. And there in Jerusalem, he built high places for idols. He had another building program. Solomon was always building. We saw that, didn't we? Now he has another building program for his wives. Just reflect for a moment. As you read through the scriptures, especially the scriptures of the Old Testament, how many times does God impress upon his people You, Israel, are different to all the nations of all the different surrounding nations. I am your sovereign Lord. I am the one who redeemed you out of Egypt. I redeemed you for myself. I am your God. You are a kingdom to me of priests. You are holy unto me. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I set my love upon you. You are my people. I've redeemed you. I've given you my laws and my commandments. And I want you to love me with all your heart and soul and strength. Look, all these other gods are vain and useless. They're not even real. And they are the imaginations of men's thoughts. You are to love me, fear me, serve me, and me alone. Everything else is false and wickedness. And yet Solomon, knowing all those things, he builds high places for the gods and goddesses of the nations in order to satisfy his wise desires. Whatever sins David committed, and they were serious sins, adultery and murder, he never forsook the Lord like Solomon. Our Bibles tell us that. His heart, verse 4, was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And it's repeated again in verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Solomon went after other gods. He placed the nation in danger. He placed himself in serious danger. Although there is no indication, as I said before, that the nation of Israel was involved at this point. Now, does this mean that Solomon then had nothing to do with the worship of God? No. Solomon no doubt continued to worship God. He continued to believe in the one true and living God. But the point is this. He now allowed other gods and goddesses, as it were, onto God's territory. 
and the fire had gone out of his own heart. The love that he once had for God no longer burned in his heart as it once had. These women had the effect of a bucket of water poured onto the fire and partially extinguished that blaze. He now indulged himself in their concerns and spent money and time and energy in order to give place to their gods. We've seen the causes. We've seen the character. What are the consequences of his fall, his sin and his disloyalty? We read verse 9, The Lord became angry with Solomon. Solomon provoked the anger of God. No one should imagine that God would turn a blind eye to Solomon's sin. This was willful disobedience. This was blatant unthankfulness. Solomon was not loyal. That literally means he was no longer at peace with God. He and God were at odds. There was tension now between him and God. But I suspect that Solomon did not feel that. God certainly felt it and he was angry and he expressed his anger as we will see in a moment. This is the same God who appeared to Solomon on two occasions. This is the same God who had loved Solomon. Solomon was beloved of the Lord. This is the same God who had given Solomon wisdom, wealth, and greatness for his own name's sake. This is the God who had warned him personally. It says that in verse 10, had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. It was not only that it was written in the word of God, in the law of Moses. God had actually spoken personally to Solomon about this very matter of turning away from him. But he did not keep, verse 10, what the Lord had commanded. And so God was angry. God was angry. Why should God be angry? If we speak about the anger of God today, we usually incur some measure of human anger. People don't like to think about the anger of God. It doesn't fit in very well with the 21st century mentality. Every religion is right. Pluralism it's called. Every religion. Any and every religion. Everyone is entitled to their own private opinion. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what this person thinks. We're all right. It's all is acceptable. We tolerate everything. You talk about the anger of your God. That's being petty, isn't it? Why should he be angry? What kind of a God is that who gets upset in that kind of way? People who react in that kind of way simply do not understand the greatness or the glory of God. He is unique. There is none like him. He is the sole creator of this universe. He alone had the power to bring it into being. He alone said, let there be light and there was light. He alone is the redeemer of his nation, Israel. He alone comes and he confounds the gods of Egypt. 
and of Pharaoh and he brings his people out according to promise and then brings them into the land that he has sworn to give them and gives them a king, a man after, their own, after his own heart, David and then gives them Solomon. This is the God then who is great, who is glorious, who is working out his plan and his purpose will come to fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the God who demands the devotion of our hearts because of his great love, because of his great faithfulness, because of the glory that he has invested in himself and in his people and in his promises and in his covenants and in his oaths. These are the things that matter. And this God is distressed. He is angry. He is more than upset. He is angry when Men like Solomon turn away from what is true. He demands as the sovereign law all of our heart to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength. And not to spend time then giving a little here and then giving some to somebody else over here, which is what Solomon did. The mentality today is, well, it's okay to indulge a little bit of spirituality here, a little bit of spirituality in worship there. It doesn't matter if you expose yourself to other kinds of worship. Tolerate it. That's what Solomon did. Solomon did not want to offend anybody. In particular, he did not want to offend his wives. But Solomon, why were you not concerned that you were offending God? Did that not cross your mind, Solomon? That God was offended. You didn't want to offend your wives, but Solomon, you've offended God. Were you not troubled in your heart, Solomon? Did it not occur to you? Did you not think what the consequences might be? That you've alienated yourself from God? You're no longer at peace with Him. God is angry with you, Solomon. You've provoked Him by your conduct. You've become a man-server, or more correctly, a woman-server. You've bowed down to their desires and you've given in to them instead of serving and loving God with all your heart. So what are the consequences? Well, we've seen that he has provoked God to anger. There is a measured divine judgment in verse 11. The direct result of Solomon's sin. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. There is a measured divine judgment because of Solomon's disobedience and his disloyalty. It's an act of violence. I'll tear away, says God. I will tear away the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. And the rest of the chapter shows us how that unfolds and how that kingdom then is handed over to his servant Jeroboam. The kingdom is going to be divided and the majority of it is going to be torn away out of your hand. There is a measured divine judgment but there is also, and this is the wonder, there is a measured divine mercy. There is restraint. God, as it were, reigns in his anger. 
verses 12 and 13. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your day. Solomon, you will live out the rest of your days and you will not live to see the tearing away of the kingdom. Why does God do that? He says, for the sake, verse 12, of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son, Rehoboam. Because of your father David. God restrains from doing it there and then because of David. God sets boundaries for Jeroboam. He as it were said to Jeroboam, this kingdom is going to be yours, but not yet. And then there is a further measure of divine mercy. Not only is the, is the judgment delayed, but one tribe will remain. Verse 13, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen. There is mercy because of God's promises to David to Samuel in chapter 7. God is not fickle like Solomon. God is committed. His warnings are not to be ignored. Solomon had ignored them. But God does not forget his word. And God does not forget his promises. Like Solomon forgot God's word. Solomon's sin does not annul the promises of God. There is a chosen line. David and his descendants from whom will come the Messiah. There is a chosen place that is central to the purposes of God, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem and the royal line will be preserved despite Solomon's sin. The promise is eclipsed, but it is not eliminated. A ray of light shines out in the midst of God's anger and his measured divine judgment. There is divine mercy. Here, in this section of scripture we see Solomon's unfaithfulness he did evil in the sight of the Lord and yet the Lord does good in the sight of Solomon despite Solomon's evil doing you have here the divine faithfulness, God's refusal to abandon his word and to abandon his purposes despite human sin he restrains his anger and displays his mercy according to his word of promise. What if you felt the full blast of the divine fury because of your sin? You and I will be consumed in a moment. Destroyed completely and utterly. If God visited you and God visited me for our sins, that would be it. The psalmist, Psalm 130, cried out, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? Who could stand? No one could stand. That's the obvious answer, isn't it? It's a rhetorical question. The wonder is that none of us are consumed because of our disobedience. Because of our unthankfulness, we may not have committed the precise sin of Solomon, 
But have we been any more obedient to God? Have we been any more thankful to Him in the light of all that He has done for us? Do we deserve the wrath and anger of God? Yes, we do. Has God poured His anger and wrath out upon us? No, He hasn't. His wrath and His anger has been poured out on another. His Son, Jesus Christ. What restraint, what mercy. It is there in Christ. And it's not said in a measured way because the Apostle Paul and Peter speak of the riches of that mercy and the abundance of that grace that is displayed to us freely in Christ. God is rich in mercy. Paul writes to the Ephesians because of his great love wherewith he has loved us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. And he's made us alive together. Christ. When you look at the mercy and the love of God in Jesus Christ, you can't measure it. It's infinite. It's more boundless than the ocean. God is a God who restrains his anger and continues to show mercy. The very fact that you are alive and breathing this evening is evidence of the mercy and the kindness of God. Especially if you are continuing on in your unbelief. Especially if you are continuing on in your sin and you will not turn to Jesus Christ. That is the height of sin. That is the height of sin. Not to believe. Not to... Not to come to Jesus Christ and to believe in Him whom the Father has sent into the world where the love of God is so fully and clearly displayed. Not to believe upon Jesus Christ is a great sin and it is worthy of utter condemnation. And yet God has not condemned you at this point in time. You are still alive and He still holds out His hand of mercy to you that you might believe upon his son Jesus Christ well let me conclude this evening by drawing out one or two important lessons from the causes and the character and the consequences of Solomon's sin if you and I are going to avoid first of all the path of Solomon then we are to seek every day that God gives us life and breath to embrace God's will for our lives. Every day. Yes, every day. Embrace it consciously. Tell yourself that you are a Christian. That you have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, instructing his son, even though he didn't keep to these words, that doesn't mean to say those words are now untrue. He said, don't let God's words depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. And David, his father, in Psalm 119. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And then David says, with my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. 
That's Psalm 119, verses 9 and 10. Let me not wander from your commands. You pray that prayer? That's the kind of prayer you need to pray. That's what I meant earlier on when I said you need to take the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. It is urgent. It is important. It is vital. If we are not to fall into the same kinds of things that happened to Solomon. Solomon must have at some point decided to ignore sin. At some point he lost his sensitivity to the commandments of God. At some point his conscience was silenced and a part of it, as it were, was switched off. He did not guard his mind and his heart and his affections and slowly those women dragged him away enticed him and gave in to their desires and their pleas. Do not let any sinful desire have a free reign in your heart. Mortify it. Anything that undermines the love of God. Whether you are young as a Christian, whether you are older as a Christian, you can never parley with sin. It's dangerous. Sin is dangerous. Set the love of God in Jesus Christ constantly before you. Set his redeeming love, the crucified Saviour, before you. Keep him uppermost in your thoughts and in your affections. Israel was told, remember your Redeemer, remember your redemption. And let that love that I have for you, says God, captivate your heart. Christ says the same things to us. The second thing we can learn is this. That even the most privileged and the most intimate experiences of God do not create an immunity to sin and to temptation. This man, Solomon, Twice, God spoke to him directly in a dream. And yet that did not keep him from temptation and sin. And note again, too, that not even a personal and direct warning spelling out what would be the consequences of going against that warning, against that commandment, even that did not guarantee immunity from sin. If you thought to yourself, if you think to yourself, well, if I've had a direct revelation from God, I don't think I'd ever sin again. That is naivety. That's naive. That's foolish. Look, that is contradicted here. You see, our hearts are very wicked. Our hearts are very, very deceitful. We sometimes think when we hear some of these things, oh, that would never, ever happen to me. I can't see myself doing that or believing that. Let me tell you, while you have life and breath, there is nothing like this. No experience, 
and no even commandment of God that is automatically going to keep you and guarantee immunity from sin. The only way you'll be free from sin and from temptation is if Christ comes or you die to go be with Christ. Until your dying day, you will face temptation to sin. Until your dying day, you will find that sin is still being stirred up within your heart. And the temptation will be there. Solomon is here as an example. Over the years I have seen Christian men and Christian women who have entered into a relationship with an unbeliever in the intention of marrying them. And those Christians were persuaded that they would be the dominant influence in that relationship. And when it was pointed out that there was no evidence for that in the word of God, in fact it was disobedience, they said, in one or two instances, I know, but I'm still going to do it. In other instances, they said, no, it's not true. Well, they just chose to disbelieve it. But that is naivety, that is foolishness. It is blatant disobedience to the word of God. We are to learn from these things. God's word is always true. Not only his promises, but his warnings. And his warnings are there as kindness. That we not get ourselves entangled again in sin. Solomon chose to ignore God's kindness. Don't imitate Solomon. Be wise. Be righteous. Did Solomon repent? Chapter 11 verses 1 to 13 does not tell us. Some believe that Ecclesiastes is Solomon's repentance. That is in fact one of the older views of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not a very common view today by modern commentators. I am not personally at this point convinced that Ecclesiastes is. I don't know at this particular point. So did Solomon persevere to the end? Did he, did he, was he a saved man? At this point, I cannot give you a definitive answer. I can give you a definitive answer in the sense that every true child of God, every true Christian, will persevere to the end. God who has begun a good work in you will bring that work to completion. When God sends his love upon somebody, he never turns his love away from that person. But this chapter is not answering that question with regard to Solomon. And we should not draw then wrong conclusions and try and read into this something that is not intended to teach us. What we do learn from this chapter is... But even if we have professed faith in Jesus Christ, even if we are, if we indulge ourselves in sin in some way, we bring great trouble and distress to our own souls and dishonour to God. And we ought to be stirred up to hate our sin and to turn away from our sin. And the other thing we need to learn from this is that we should never conclude in a presumptuous kind of way, well, it won't matter too much if I sin because I can always repent of my sin. 
It is far better never to get involved in sin in the first place. That is the way, the way of righteousness, the way of walking in holiness, and not to dabble and play with sin. When you know it is sin, when God's word has commanded you and explained to you what the consequences will be, what will happen, God spells it out so that we don't walk in that way. And the last thing this shows us is our need of a perfect saviour, a perfect king. Solomon, despite being the wisest man on the face of the earth, left to himself, displays his folly and his sin. But there is another greater than Solomon who has come. Who, when he was tempted, stood firm and was not moved by Satan's temptations. There is another who came and suffered greatly and was hung on that cross and endured much pain and much shame and endured the wrath of God poured out on his holy head so that he became accursed. And he is the one without sin. He is the one without weakness. He is the one who was strong. And by his obedience he overcame Satan. And by his obedience he purchased salvation for us. David cannot save us. Solomon in all his wisdom cannot save us. No man on earth can save us except the man who came from heaven to earth and is now returned to heaven having died on the cross having been raised from the dead, now is ascended and sits, sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the only Saviour. He is the only one who is without sin. And he is the one who will return again and bring us to glory with himself. That is his promise. He has died for his people. He has died to pardon. He has died to cleanse us. He has died in order to make us Righteous in his sight through his own obedience, through his own righteousness. He is all our hope. We look unto him, we despair of ourselves. We look at our blatant unthankfulness and our willful disobedience and we begin to think that is it, that will be it, will be finished. When we are confronted with our sin, we must look away unto Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. He is our only saviour. He is all our trust. Let us love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Amen. O oh Lord, our God, we thank you for your immeasurable mercy. You have not dealt with us according to our sins. We have provoked you <coughs> provoked your anger but you have shown us that anger as it fell upon your son Jesus Christ consuming him in death instead of consuming us Lord we marvel at such love and pray that as we dwell upon the love of God in Jesus Christ we pray that our hearts may be moved to love him and to love you more and more. Keep us, 
from that divided heart that characterised Solomon in his old age. Grant, O God, that every one of us may continue in the faith, sincere, earnest, patiently enduring until the very end, until we find ourselves with Jesus Christ in glory. Hear us, then we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.